A reading from Haggai, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Thank you, Adele. Uh, One housekeeping note before we get started. Just wanted to note Ed and Wendy Rumbold are here. They are all the way in the back. Uh, They are missionaries in Slovakia. You guys are here for two weeks. Is that right? So yeah, uh, uh, welcome home. So today, um, another housekeeping note. Yes, I'm gimping around. Um, For those of you over here, don't get old. It's just, you know, the song is true. What a drag it is getting old. Um, Just wanted to settle that. I might be a little more sedentary than I normally am. So today we're starting a five-part series on Haggai. So the first order of business is, how is that pronounced? Is it Haggai? Is it Haggai? Is Is it Haggai? I don't know. That's the first order of business, right? It's everyone's favorite book in the Bible. You ever met anybody whose favorite verse is Haggai? Right? So Haggai is one of the minor prophets. That doesn't mean it's not important. And he has a great message for us today. I believe. So Haggai, fast facts. Haggai is the third last book in the Old Testament, followed by Zechariah and Malachi. And then that is followed by 400 years of basically radio silence from God before John the Baptist bursts on the scene. So this is important. What do these last three minor prophets have to tell us before God goes silent for 400 years? It is the second shortest book in the Old Testament. Obadiah is shorter. The sixth shortest in the Bible. A couple epistles of John and Jude. 38 verses only in Haggai. Two chapters. 926 words. Haggai, the book itself, spans four months. I'm not saying his ministry only spanned four months, but it is a brief snippet of time. He is followed by Zechariah. What do we know about Haggai? His parents, his genealogy, the length of his ministry, his age? Virtually nothing. We know virtually nothing about Haggai. Um, Some scholars would make a a strong case that Haggai actually wrote a few of the Psalms. I'm not saying that's heretical at all, but some scholars make a strong case that Haggai wrote three or four of the Psalms. But really, we know virtually nothing about Haggai. Um, His name means Haggai, means festive or festival. But one thing we definitively know about Haggai um, is that he is the Lord's messenger, and he is a prophet of the Lord. He is the Lord's messenger. So Haggai, history. 
I want to set the scene. Um, Adele read the scripture, but I want to set the scene. It's always important in, when we look at scripture to set the context. So what, when is he jumping on the scene? So what is happening? So we are in 520 BC is when this book was written. So the exile, so a little bit of math here and a little bit of history just to paint the picture, happened in 587. So we're right in the window there where they were going to be exiled for 70 years. So we're right in that window of 70 years. In 538 BC, approximately 50,000 people were released by Cyrus to go back to Jerusalem to start to rebuild the temple. That is a 900-mile journey. That's done on foot, by the way. That was done on foot to go to captivity in Babylon. That was done on foot to come back. Approximately 50,000 people came back, right? So we're in the 17, 18-year range back. Cyrus told them, go back and start building the temple. They did. The temple had to start to be rebuilt. The foundation was built. The altar was built. And sacrifices were actually reinstituted at that time. Not 520, but at 538 when they started. However, work stopped. Work stopped on the temple. Some would say it because there was another king that told them to stop working in the temple. And some would simply say that apathy had set in. Foundation laid, altar laid, sacrifices, work stopped, sacrifices stopped. That is what Haggai, that is what is happening when we meet Haggai here in 520. This is what Haggai is, is addressing. So Haggai verse 1, 520 again, in King Darius, in the first day of the sixth month, that means virtually nothing to us, first day of the sixth month, the Jews worked on a lunar calendar. First day of the month was a festival. It was the new moon festival. If you read those verses in the bottom, I'm not going to reference them, but there would have been horns, there would have been singers, there would have been a worship service, there was no work done on the first day of the month. So Haggai, the word of the Lord comes to him coincidentally? No. The word of the Lord comes to Haggai on the day of a preordained worship service where most of the people would have been gathered. This is where Haggai is, has a preordained audience. Haggai, this is where the notes start if you're a note taker. Whose name? There's lots of names for God in the Bible. Whose name does Haggai note in the Bible? Let's read verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. The Lord of hosts. I'm an NIV guy, it gets it wrong. It says the Lord Almighty. The Lord of hosts, the name Yahweh Saboeth, declares God's reign over heaven and earth and over all the armies, earthly and spiritual. That is who Haggai says is speaking. He's speaking on the behalf of the name of the Lord of hosts. The God of not just earth and the armies on earth, the God of the angels, the God of all the heavenly armies, the Lord of hosts is who's speaking. The King of kings is who's speaking. Excuses, verse 2. Notice, Haggai, these people. Haggai doesn't say, my people. That jumped off the page to me. Haggai is addressing the audience as these people. God is not saying, my people. These people have been around the block. Why do I say that? Most of them, is, is suggested, had actually been in Babylon under captivity and have come back. These people know scripture. I say that as we go through the book of Haggai, we will see that Haggai references Abraham, Haggai references Moses, 
Haggai references David. Haggai later on, after the temple gets started to rebuild, he says, hey, compare the old temple to the new one. These people that have come back aren't 17-year-olds that haven't seen God. They have a working knowledge of Scripture. These people know better. That's his audience. And their excuse is what? Now isn't the time. They were sent back to build the temple. They started it. They stopped, maybe because a king told them to, maybe not. But they stopped, and they've had 15 years-ish to stop working. Because why? Because now's not the time to work on God's house. Well, the Lord of hosts says it is. The Lord of hosts says it's time to work on my house. I have a silly question. These questions are all for me. You make excuses with God? I'm too busy, God. Too tired. I don't have time. Now's not the time. I'm not good at memorizing scripture. So you know what? I'm not even going to try. Because now's not the time. When is the time? The Lord of hosts says, now's the time. Priorities. The title of the sermon. Haggai is challenging the priorities of the people. And I believe that message comes through today. Haggai, not Rick. Haggai, through God, is challenging our priorities. What are they? And where are they? Verses 3 through 6. Let's look at those again. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. So so this ties a little bit back to Brian Hepp's sermon two weeks ago, right? This is sin in broad terms. This is life is not going good. Haggai is challenging the people. How's it going? How's life going for you? You're planting, but you're harvesting not much. You eat, but you're still hungry. You're putting clothes on, but you're still cold. You're drinking, but you're still thirsty. You earn wages, and you're putting them in a bag with holes. Hey, guy, in broad terms, is just simply saying, how's life going? How's it going for you? Sin doesn't work. Sin doesn't work. You're neglecting my house. How's things going? How is life going for you? God's word always comes true. Always comes true. Verses 7 and 8. Haggai takes kind of a, a, a gear change here. He goes from kind of hitting on the people hard, challenging them with a lack of ex- or their feeble excuse. He hits them on life and how things are going. And Haggai makes a positive gear change here in verse 7 and 8. And let's look at that. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it that I may be glorified, says the Lord. We see the name again, Lord of hosts. Haggai keeps hitting that home. Who is he? Who's talking? The king of kings is talking. The God of the armies, heaven and earth, the Lord of hosts is talking. And he says, consider your ways. We see that again. We see it again in Haggai later past this chapter. Go build my house. I've got an idea. Go build my house. 
So, and he tells us why. Scripture doesn't always tell us why, but in this case, Haggai says why. Why does God want his house built? So he can take pleasure in it, and so he will be honored and glorified. Go get the wood and go do it. He gives him a very simple plan. Go do it. Come back to me, you might say he's saying. He's saying, come back. Change your priorities from your house. You've done a nice job building your house, but how's life going for you? Not so good. Build mine. Go get some wood and put the time and energy that you put into your houses, put it into mine. Psalm 145 is such a great psalm. It is David just extolling how good and God's splendor and his majesty. It is a psalm of praise. 1 Corinthians 10.31, I'm sorry, tells us what? Whatever we do, small or big, do it for God's glory. God deserves the glory. That's why he wants his house built. So he gets the glory. He rightly deserves. And Isaiah 42.8 makes no distinction. God will not share his glory with another. The Lord of hosts alone is worthy of our praise. And we should spend our lives like Corinthians 10.31 in the small and the big glorifying us and building my house? No. Haggai says build God's house because I want to take pleasure in it, in my presence with you and in the glory I deserve. Haggai 9-11. through 11. I will read that again, I'm sorry. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil on what the ground brings forth on man and beast in all their labors. Pardon me. So this is another gear change. So these are actually hard words. Haggai here is actually kind of going back to Deuteronomy 28, where there is blessings for obedience and there are curses for disobedience or not following God's words. Haggai is saying very simply, it makes no ambiguity. I blew it away. God says, you've been working hard. I blew it away. It wasn't that they didn't know how to farm. They weren't poor farmers. It wasn't they didn't know how to invest. They were intentionally putting their stuff into bags of money. It wasn't they didn't know how to make a sweater and wear it. God here clearly says to these people, I blew it away. I'm cursing you. Why? God doesn't always tell us why. Here he says, the King James, I like how it says it. Because my house is waste. My house is waste. Now don't misunderstand me, and I'm not going off the rails here. I'm talking about specifically these people with Haggai. Is it because your life is hard and that anything you have trouble in your life, that you have sin in your life and God is cursing you? That is not true. Life is hard on earth. Brian Hep hit it great a couple weeks ago. We live in a fallen world. Life is difficult. But Haggai here is saying to these people, specifically, I'm cursing you. I'm making your work fruitless and feeble because my house is waste. And make no mistake, there are consequences for life on earth, but I don't want you talking to someone or looking at someone and say, well, their life's going a little rough, Uh, probably sin in their life, 
Or conversely, while someone's life is going really good, it must be, li- you know, must be living right. You know that phrase? That's not. So don't misunderstand this. So there's broad, but Haggai here is specifically hitting these people with hard words. I'll tell you what's going on. I'm cursing you because my house is waste. God's presence. See, this is an overarching theme. What, what is the big deal, God? It's the church. Why do we need to build your house? What is the big... Is God not overreacting? I mean, we have a building here at Northfield. We could worship at the park, couldn't we? What, 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 is God not over... Why is there such a push, per, a push here? Such a push. Um, general sin and then a curse. And God is so mad that his house is in waste. It's because it's bigger than his house. These people are missing a basic tenant that flows from Genesis to Revelation and beyond. These people are not valuing God's presence. That's the sin. The priority is not on God's presence. In Genesis 1, in Genesis 3, the Garden of Eden, God is there. God's present in the Garden of Eden. After the fall, they have a tabernacle. There's a portable structure that the Israelites take from place to place. Why? Because God is dwelling in the tabernacle. They take it with them. No matter where they go, they have God present with them. It's God's presence. Solomon builds a temple. It stands for 370 years. The Holy of Holies. Who is there? God. God's presence. These people are not prioritizing God's presence. It's not the structure God wants built. He wants them to acknowledge and appreciate his presence, to worship his presence, so he gets glory. Jesus is called what? Emmanuel. What does that mean? We know it. We sing it at Christmas. God with us. God's presence with us. John 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Did I say tabernacle earlier? John 1, there's the word in Greek. I'm not going to pronounce it. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. God came in the form of Jesus and was present with us. Are we prioritizing it? Further, Jesus refers to himself as the temple. What got Jesus in trouble? If you, if you knock this temple down, Jesus was referring probably to the physical structure. What does he say? I'll rebuild it in three days. What's he talking about? Resurrecting his body. Jesus is the temple. A temple that will not be built by earthly hands, by human hands. God's presence. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, right? Jesus says, it's good if I leave. Why? So the Holy Spirit comes. Then God's presence is not just in Jesus. Then the Spirit comes and dwells all of us that are Christians. God's presence These people were not valuing God's presence. We are temples. 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you know that you're a temple? In 1 1 Peter 2.5, you are filled with the Spirit. You are becoming a spiritual house, the temple of God. This theme flows from Adam. It throws all the way through. How far does it throw? Flow to Revelation. Revelation 21.3. God's dwelling place is with man forever in heaven. What is heaven? Is heaven endless rounds of golf for me? Is heaven seeing a loved one that's passed before 
There might be an element to that. There's not an element of golf in heaven, I don't believe. But what is heaven? Heaven is eternity in God's presence. If I don't value God's presence here on earth, what the world would I want to spend eternity with him for? Do we value God's presence? That is what Haggai is hammering home to these people. It's not rebuild the temple in terms of a brick on a stone. It is rebuild my presence in your life. Come back to me. Do you value my presence? Because we will be there for eternity. If you don't value it here, I'm repeating myself, why would you want to spend eternity with him? Do you prioritize God and his presence? Do you? Because the Lord of hosts, again, he prioritized you. The Lord of hosts prioritized you. How do I know that? Before I formed you in the womb, before I knew you. What is man, Psalm 8, what is man that the Lord of hosts is mindful of him? When I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. Jesus, what did it cost? Well, you know, it didn't cost God much. Are you kidding? Jesus, the night before, said, God, I don't want this. I don't want this. I'll do it, but I don't want it. It cost a tremendous price. And thank good Jesus, thank God that he did that for us. And the Lord of hosts prioritized you to this point. Vic mentioned it earlier. None that God gave Jesus did he lose. None. You were a priority to the Lord of hosts. And is my response, now's not the time. I'm building Rick's house. It's what Haggai is challenging these people with. I'm working on my house. Okay. So this is a gear change, and hopefully I can bring it home for you. That is Half Dome. That is the most famous peak in Yosemite National Park. They actually, you can get all the way to here. They put chains up in the summertime because you can't walk that slick slope because it's basically on an angle like that. So you can actually get there. It is a 15-mile hike. Uh, takes most people in the 10 to 12-hour range to accomplish that. My daughter Sarah spent a year in Mexico. We were going to pick her up in San Diego and drive home, and we were going to hike Half Dome. You have to get a lottery to enter a lottery to get those tickets because they don't want 1,000 people on those chains. We got lottery tickets. And it occurred to me in March that I wasn't going to make it up Half Dome. And if I did, it was going to be ugly. And it wasn't going to be 10 to 12 hours for the normal person. It was going to be 16 hours of ceaseless complaining. So I made a lifestyle change. And I prioritized getting in shape and losing weight. It affected almost every area of my life. It affected what I ate, when I ate it, how much I ate, what I drank, how much I drank, when I did. It affected time. I prioritized exercising, losing weight. Um, it affected my family. Every day I would weigh the scale. My, my daughter in Mexico was asking me, how much do you weigh today? Um, it affected family conversations. I actually prompted some mm, 
arguments, we'll just call it. Um, some of my methods were questioned and scrutinized quite uh, hard. Um, it affected my wardrobe. I'm wearing clothes I haven't worn in two years because I made a priority change in my life. So I mentioned, if I didn't mention, I drove to San Diego and Beth flew in and then we came home. Some people think that's nuts. I loved the time in the car. 30 hours and I stopped and hit some other stuff on the way there. So I'm driving to San Diego. You got a little bit of time. I'm not a, in 30 hours in the car, I bet you I had the radio on for three. Quiet, I like the quiet. And God says, Rick, you're preaching on Haggai? Yeah. That's a lot about priorities, isn't it? Yeah. You changed some priorities recently. Yep. We're good. When's the last time you made a priority change in your life for me that impacted all those areas of your life? When's the last time you prioritized me where it affected your day in and day out activities? It affected your family. It affected how you lived your life. And that hurt because I pushed back at God. God, I've been doing this 35 years. It's Christianity, and, and I'm, you know you're number one. You know, it's, it's God, it's country, it's, it's work. And the next day, God's again. Rick, when's the last time you prioritized me to the point where it affected every facet of your life? And I had to answer. I don't know, God, but I hear you. And Beth, we might not be making, done making changes at home. I don't know what God's hitting we with, but we might be done. Do we prioritize God? Do we prioritize his presence? I think I've hit that one enough. Do we prioritize time with him? Do we prioritize time with his people? I've kind of hit those, but some other things hit me. And I'm going to be very candid and forthright. Do I prioritize the Great Commission? Do I I'm only talking to Rick right now. Do I prioritize the Great Commission? Do I prioritize it personally? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, Romans 1.16. Can that be said of me all day, every day? No. The answer is no for me. Because do I actively seek out opportunities at work where I am to, to actively seek them out, consciously seek them out to share the gospel? Or do I do it is let them play? And when the opportunity so perfectly presents itself, I say a nice choice word that someone might indicate that Rick's a Christian, and I'm done, and I leave it. Do I prioritize the Great Commission personally in my life? Do I prioritize it globally? When, talking to me, is the last time God challenged me so hard on this? You worked hard, you sacrificed to lose that weight. God says, when is the last time you gave? I'm talking about money, until it hurt. Rick, when's the last time you gave money until it hurt to further my kingdom? And actually, I wish that was the end of it because I think God's next question to me was, when was the first? Do I prioritize the Great Commission? Revelation 7, 9, every tribe and tongue, every tribe and tongue will be there. When's the last time I prioritized that? Priorities. Do I prioritize his word? Do I actually prioritize his word? Do I memorize it? Psalm 119.11. Thy word have I hid in my heart. Well, God, I'm not good at memorizing scripture. 
excuses, just like the people with Haggai. So I'm not going to try. Thy word. When is the last time I prioritized that? Do I prioritize its application? Luke eleven twenty eight. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Put it in your heart, but it's harder to live it out. Do I prioritize that? Do I prioritize prayer? Go in your closet and pray. And Luke 5.16, Jesus was what? Often found in solitary places praying. Well, I'm not good at praying. I don't know what to pray. You know my best times in prayer is when I talk very, very briefly. And I just stop and listen. I listen. God, what is it you want to tell me? It doesn't need to be me talking. Do I prioritize prayer? Do I prioritize prayer globally? We have missionaries here. I mentioned Ed and Wendy are here. Mark and Kathy are here for some time. We have missionaries that doesn't have to be globally. Mitch Cooksey has done some local work. Brian Hepp mentioned at the cabin. Do I prioritize prayer for the Great Commission for them? Or do I prioritize prayer of the great American dream for me and my family? We mentioned we're going to celebrate 247 years in America, and I couldn't be happier to live in the last free country on the planet. But do I prioritize praying for the person that goes to bed every night thinking, if I get caught with that Bible, I'm dead. I'm dead. Do I prioritize prayer for the person that is in jail with a gun to their head and the jailer is saying, you denounce Jesus or I'll kill you right now. You don't know what to pray for? Pray for the Great Commission. Pray for the people that are in the persecuted church, punished for prioritizing the presence of God. Priorities. I'll let you read that. Priorities. It's what Haggai was challenging the folks with over 2,000 years ago. That's for us today, folks. Priorities. It's simple. Haggai's message is not complicated. Does his presence, do we value it? And does it influence us every day, every moment of our lives? What are your priorities? Are you too busy building your wooden paneled house? God bless.